You're listening to a bonus episode of 88 Cups of Tea with Yin Chang. Am I doing this right? <laughs> Hi, I'm your host, Yin Chang, and thanks for joining me on 88 Cups of Tea. This podcast is created to leave you feeling motivated from interviews with storytellers, where we learn how they create opportunities for a successful career without losing sight of the values that make us human. Woo, that was a really long run on sentence. Well, surprise, surprise, storytellers, we are dropping in with a bonus episode so you can get an extra episode this month. And before we jump into introductions for today's guest, I just wanted to say whether you've been with me or you are a brand new listener, welcome to 88 Cups of Tea's podcast. I am so happy to have you along for this ride. And before we get started, I have a quick request. If you're enjoying the show, but you haven't yet hit the subscribe button and submitted a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to do that. Your reviews tell new listeners what to expect from the show, and the more ratings and reviews that we get, the more we get featured so more people can find us and join our storyteller community and ultimately feel less alone in their journey pursuing the arts. So thank you in advance for that. On that note, here is what a recent listener with the username of Sunny Says just recently wrote. This podcast always gives me a lift. Yin's genuine curiosity always leads to great interviews, and there are always so many good tips and resource suggestions that I sometimes have to stop to take down a few notes. It's a great pick-me-up, too, when I feel like I'm in a creative slump. Every episode is a gem. Thank you so much, Sunny Says, for that awesome review. Thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the time to write that. And I am so grateful to have you in our community. And now on to today's guest. In our last episode with Sarah Ennie, we partnered with the Pittsburgh Cultural Trust to bring you that episode. And they're producing Bookish in the Berg, the Northeast's newest teen book festival on March 23rd and 24th, which will be packed with fans of young adult literature for a free full day of conversation, book signings, and a celebration of all things bookish. So I am thrilled to have the creator of Bookish in the Berg, Kelsey Ford, on the show with us today. I am especially excited about this because Kelsey is one of our very own storytellers and has been a listener for over three years. I still remember that Kelsey was one of the eight listeners who won our very first giveaway ever. I love how it's all coming full circle. And now 88 Cups of Tea is Bookish in the Berg's podcast partner of choice. In this bonus episode, we dive deep into Kelsey's journey as a writer, her experience querying and getting a literary agent, and how she balances her full-time job with her writing, all while sharing amazing crafting advice. So fellow listeners, please be sure to listen in on this because I think you're going to get a lot from her episode. We also discuss all about the Bookish and the Berg Festival, including the -the behind-the-scenes details like what inspired her to create the festival the planning aspect, and so much more. Okay, let's jump right in because I have a feeling you're going to love her episode. Hey, everyone. I am so happy to have one of our very own storytellers, Kelsey Ford, with us today. Kelsey, how are you? I'm so great, Yan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you on, and I'd love to chat about your journey, what you've been up to. So what are you most excited about right now? So I am most excited about this great new project at work that has helped me 
combine my professional day-to-day arts administrator life and my life as a writer. I had the recent opportunity to create a brand new teen literature festival in Pittsburgh called Bookish in the Berg, which is happening this month in just a couple of weeks. And it's just been such a unique opportunity, like I said, to sort of meld these two worlds um, that are often, you know, warring against each other for my time in the writing space and in my professional arts administrator life. I am so impressed by you. And I'm so proud of you. (laughs) I definitely want to get into that more. I want to also dive into how you got to that place right now where you're, you're organizing this huge festival. So why don't we backtrack to when you first fell in love with storytelling? Yeah, absolutely. So I can't remember a time in my life when I have not been associated with like reading and writing. I was such a bookish kid. And that has followed me throughout my whole life. My mom likes to tell people that when I was a toddler, I would like have this little purse that I would carry to the grocery store and I would fill it full of like books and raisins so that I could <laughs> like cheat my raisins. And, like, I love the raisins. <laughs> yeah, those, those are my like two vices, books and raisins. And so, you know, I didn't know how to read like that young, but my mom, you know, who's the most creative person I know and is just as bookish as I am, um, would always read books to us. And so I had heard the books so much that I would read them back to her. And so, um, you know, she would also give us, um, you know, we took a lot of road trips when I was a kid. Um, Mm -hmm. My dad's not a huge fan of flying. So before every road trip, my mom would give us all like my siblings and I had these journals to like write about our trips. And so, you know, I've been journaling for like two decades of my life. So I've just always been writing. And then I I realized that writing was something that I really excelled at. Actually, when I was a teenager in, in middle school, so I went to a really rural high school, but we had this amazing program with this uh, liberal arts college in Northwestern PA called Allegheny College. And so we would get to take a bus every other Friday to go to Allegheny College and we'd get to pick sort of a creative track and I picked writing. And so every other Friday from about eight to 12th grade, I would ride the bus and go take some creative classes, majoring as you will in writing and getting to, you know, learn from a college professor. And those were the only writing classes I ever had, but it was in those sessions that I realized that, you know, I had things to say and that I, I knew how to put words together in a page like that just came naturally to me and was something that brought me so much joy. That was sort of that light bulb moment that I had as a teenager where I was like, oh, this this is something. I have to do this in some capacity in my life. How supportive were your parents about that? They were really supportive. Um, like I said, my mom is so creative. And I think that It was a challenge growing up as both my parents are in education. And so they've always, you know, they're always very supportive of like reading and writing and all of those pursuits. But they also, you know, we're from, like I said, a rural area. And so there's, there's that tug sort of like, can I study something creative? Or do I need to study something safe and Mm -hmm. just keep creativity as that side hobby, which I think a lot of us Mm -hmm. storytellers and creatives struggle with a lot. And so they were so supportive of you know, my creative pursuits, but I, I think that there was, they were worried, you know, they they were worried about like, what is she going to do to support herself, to have health insurance, to, to, to have a career that s- sort of supports creativity versus creativity being my career that supports my life. 
Ooh, okay, that was really powerful. Um, so how did you go from there into then college? What did you study in college? So in undergrad, I ended up picking something safe. Um, I started with business and then I sort of changed my mind because I have always had a passion for event coordinating. And so I decided to study public relations because I thought that that could sort of set me up for planning events and and communicating with large groups of people and being the face of an organization or the voice of an organization. And, And I kept business as a minor. So I studied those things and it didn't click for me. Like I loved it. It was nice because I got to write, but it wasn't like I knew that that was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. It was just sort of a safe option. So then I decided to go to graduate school overseas um, in England, and I studied arts management. And that is when everything sort of clicked for me. That was my- What do you mean by arts management? So arts management is um, sort of what it sounds like. Like every, it encompasses so much, but that is the backside of the arts. Like you need these strong, organized basically like event managers and administrators who make the arts happen. So we are the ones that are, you know, doing grant applications or planning the arts events or hiring the artists for performances, managing theaters, managing art galleries. Um, So that, you know, while I was studying that, I was like, oh, this is it. Like I can marry, you know, this really creative side of myself with my like super type A organized personality Mm -hmm. (laughs) that is like really good at planning events and and putting those things together. Oh, brilliant. Okay. So during, while you're doing all of this, were you finding time for writing? I think I was in little bits and pieces and, you know, that's a regret looking back that I didn't write as much as I probably should have. You know, like I said, I've always been journaling and I, you know, went through a long period of time where I would write a lot of nonfiction essays, but it was mostly just for me. So I, yes, I was always writing, but it was definitely just writing for me. I wasn't like pursuing anything. Um, And then, you know, when I finished up um, my Uh, studies at graduate school, I moved back to the States and was, you know, applying for jobs. And it was at that time that I had this light bulb moment for a YA novel. And I had never, ever had like that real strong moment of like a novel length book. It would, it had always just been like stories and bits and pieces and essays. And, but I had, I just had to write this full length book. And so I think that I had to, you know, get all this professional, stuff and this professional study out of my system. And then I got to sit down and, you know, bring all of those experiences together. And that's, I was ready to like write, um, you know, for other people and write fiction at that time. Do you mind me asking what, what inspiration, or do you remember like, what exactly was it that clicked for you when you were like, oh my gosh, this is the, uh, I just ran into this inspiration for me wanting now to fully attack a full on a uh, fiction novel uh was was it like a book that you came across I don't know at the airport on the way back to the states <laughs> or like you know I had this so I had this book idea in my brain like I just had this vision of this girl and I think it I think that it was in part like just finishing up grad school and and knowing that you are capable of things and um, having all this experience, but then like having no idea what you wanted to do or how you were going to get the job. And so (laughs) because I have always been interested in like writing contemporary fantasy and fantasy worlds, I had 
I was translating, I think, my these experiences sort of subconsciously into this um, idea of this girl who was surrounded by magic and wanted it so desperately and knew that she deserved it, but didn't have it herself and so th- and couldn't get it herself. And so that was what stuck with me. And when I moved back from grad school at that time, I read um, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Ooh, mm-hmm. Yes, which is one of my all time favorite books. I, I love Elizabeth Gilbert. And uh and I, so I was reading this book at the same time where I had this little nugget of, of an idea. And I just remember that so much of big magic focuses on, um, this idea that like you are doing the world a disservice if you keep your creativity inside and if you don't tell the stories that come to you. And so that was just sort of like this wake up moment, like, how dare I do the world a disservice? <laughs> how dare I stifle my voice? <laughs> I love that so much. Oh my gosh. I love Elizabeth Gilbert too. Have you heard her podcast? Yes. I So I listened to that too after I read the book. I think it was just, just coming out like at the same time. So I started um, listening to the podcast when I would like take walks around the park every morning. And it was just like, yeah, it was such a wake up call. And she was talking to like normal people like me. And she was, you know, talking them through their creative process. And she's like, but why aren't you writing? You have mm-hmm. things to say. You are like so deserving of creativity and of making that time and that space for yourself. And I'm like, yes, Elizabeth. Yes, <laughs> I, I am that too. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like, yes, preach, Miss Gilbert, yes. <laughs> preach. Yes. I, I loved her podcast and I, I love the kindness in her voice and the compassion as well, where she really sees the human condition and just basically relates to everybody in that way. I love that you brought her up and that's going to be in your show notes page, by the way, it's going to be linked in the resources. Uh, Okay. So from there, it was Elizabeth Gilbert. She really like lit that fire and you're like, whoa, I need to get my stories out there. I need to do the world a favor. Okay. So... And no, I completely get it. And it's true. It's really true. You're here for a reason. And if you don't fulfill your full capabilities, then it really is a disservice. So from there, were you, how were you taking action? How, how were you disciplining yourself with your work and your craft while balancing everything around you? Mm-hmm. It was the right time for me to fall in love with the idea of being an author because I didn't have a lot of other things to focus on and like worry on, you know, I I was applying for jobs and that took a lot of worry, but like I needed this other outlet. And like I said before, I am super type A. And so (laughs) when I start projects, I have the tendency to fall into them with such like an all consuming passion that I think that there's something to be said for all of us writers and creatives who are also type A, it allows us to sort of go full force um, with so much determination and confidence because we just refuse to like fail or not do things as well as we possibly can, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just started writing every single day working on this story. I, I didn't have like a specific word count that I wanted to get to, but I was writing very quickly. I was drafting very quickly just because I had to get it out. But during that time, I was also, I just fell into this world of listening to like craft podcasts and reading craft books and, you know, scouring the internet for every single piece of like writing advice. And I just was like consumed by it and consumed by like plot ideas and character development ideas. And it was just a really like looking back, it was just a really fun time in my life. Like my brain was spinning all the time with just like things about the publishing industry and like things about how to write books. And, and I was also reading so much and, you know, that's, 
that sticks with me. I, I read constantly because um, I think it's one of the best things we can do as writers and creatives. But um, yeah, I was just I just was fully consumed by this project. And so it was very easy to keep myself disciplined because I just loved it so much. Like it was I felt like I needed to do it or I was going to go crazy. Ooh, OK, so how was that project going? Um, that particular project, like it went so fast. Um, and, uh, I drafted a book so quickly and then I was like, Oh, what now? What do I do? <laughs> like when I have this story. And so, um, you know, one of the best resources for me in my writing life has actually just been the presence of the most lovely critique partner in the world. So I had this dear friend that I grew up with in middle school, like we went through the awkward middle school and high school years together. And she's also a writer and and she lives, you know, close to where I live in rural Northwestern Pennsylvania. And I just reached out to her with like this brave little confidence, like, Hey, I wrote a book. I know that you write books. Do you want to like hang out and talk about books or, you know, read it or something? And, and that was, just one of the best things I could have done for myself because she is like now the first reader of everything that I write. And she, um, you know, critiqued my first draft of this book and sort of set me on this path of like editing and wanting to do something with it, wanting to query, wanting to find an agent, like, oh, I could make this a career. And she was sort of that first initial support system. We're like, yeah, you could do this. This is a real thing. Wow. Oh my gosh. You see how important it is to have those people around you who understand you and believe in you and also knowing that you can trust their, their, I guess you could say judgment. Um, You know what I mean? Because there's also, there's those, if you have people, if you're lucky enough to have people who just cheerlead you on and cheer on all the time, also you start to wonder like, wait, but (laughs) is it because they just love me so much yes you know what I mean yeah I'm like if I give my book to my mom she's gonna be like great honey great job you're amazing I'm like okay but like what should I change though mom it's like no honey everything is perfect yeah truly just like you it's like nah mom no no this is not the time this is not the contract okay that we have between mother and daughter but no but that's why it is so important that you have your friend that you reached out to oh my gosh that's incredible so now all right so have you been kind of putting that project on the back burner as like because I know right now when you mentioned at the very top that you're super busy and you came up with this whole concept of this festival and I want to get into that more so is it because with time and everything like you've had to put that project more so on the back burner and then come back to it like what are your plans for it so not really actually I um yeah I started querying and then (gasps) about it uh, yeah, so about a year ago, um, I signed with a literary agent, actually. I am, like, agented, which is crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> Kelsey, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, um, so I'm represented by Jessica Milio with Inkwell Management, and it was so exciting to, like, meet her and to, like, have that initial conversation with her and to get the ball rolling. She just, like, got the books and the other books that I have in the back burner. And so, no, I was... I think that's the craziest thing about, you know, life right now, being like a creative writer, but also like an arts administrator is that I love both of these career paths so much. And I am simultaneously pursuing them at the same exact time, which is just nuts. And so it's been bookish in the Berg has just been this wonderful, like capstone thing that has helped me combine both of these worlds that I'm so consumed in and, and trying so 
hard to like build careers in at the same time. Wow. Okay. Now you just opened like an entire <laughs> floodgate. You just opened Pandora's box. So first talk about more about querying because you know, a lot of our listeners, our fellow storytellers are going through that process as well. Like, can you kind of walk through memory lane of how you approach the literary agent, what resources you've used that might help our listeners, how basically you approached it? Because I feel like everybody has such a different story and you might say something that that they've never heard of and they're just like oh my god let me try that as well you know yeah absolutely so querying was a beast like it was really (laughs) intense and I and I know that I was very strategic about it and didn't want to get like so sucked into it so I I know that it was much more like life consuming for a lot of other people but my particular process was actually doing a lot of research to listen to you know, I've always been like an 88 cups of tea listener. Um, all those interviews with literary agents, boy, were they useful. So I would, <laughs> <laughs> I would just sit there with like a notebook and listen to all of those and take all these notes about like querying and tips and all those. I just had a notebook full of like data that I was wow. collecting. <laughs> oh my God, I so, love that. Yeah. Yeah. So I started, I started there, right? Like because you have to start with this query letter before anything else, I think. And then, um, you know, I think... Uh, my type A personality really helped me with this particular process. Um, so I am like a total spreadsheet nerd, less so um, with like what spreadsheets were created for, like numbers and more so of like information and like data organizing, right? So I created this ridiculous spreadsheet um, for querying that had like all of the dream agents and their contact information. And, and one of the biggest and best tools that I used throughout the querying process was um, the website Manuscript Wishlist. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Like I just, that was, you know, such a good resource for me. And so I would like jump back and forth between like that and then like the Manuscript Wishlist hashtag on Twitter. And I would like go into these deep dives of like looking at all these agents' wish lists and all of the, pro- like their favorite books. And like, it was crazy a little bit. So, <laughs> so I would look into all of that and then I would put all this information in my handy dandy spreadsheet. And then, um, you know, one of the biggest and like, I think easiest entry points of like writing a good query letter that you hear over and over that I can't believe not everybody does is like personalizing the query letter for the agent. Like, I can't believe that this is not something that all of us have learned by now. But like, so I spent a lot of time um, like making sure that I was following that guidance. So Mm -hmm. every single query letter, it was like, personalized. And, you know, I noticed that you were interested in this, this and this. And this is why I'm pitching this particular story to you. And so I tried like a couple of different query letters. But for the most part, I didn't really change it because I felt like I was explaining the story. And I felt like, you know, I was reaching out to people for a certain reason that they were interested in the types of stories that I was telling in this book. And so I didn't want to change it very much until I got like, you know, I was like, if I got like 50 so rejections or something, like maybe I would consider Mm -hmm. changing it. But so I got a couple of requests for more pages and a couple of full requests here and there. And then it just everything's just sort of paused as I know that it happens to a lot of people like you just don't hear back. Agents are so, so busy. And then I decided to like rework the book one more time. I think I was preparing. I was going to submit it to Pitch Wars. This is a while ago, so I'm trying to remember, but I was going to submit it to, pit, submit it to Pitch Wars. So I 
revamped it and re-edited it and like made it super, super, super strong. I felt good about my pitch wars application and then it just didn't like match with any of the mentors, which was, you know, perfectly fine. Like it's so specific. And I think that was one of the pieces of knowledge that I kept reminding myself during the querying process. Sure, it was kind of stressful and maybe upsetting if you got a rejection, but really I was pleased if they rejected me because I'm like, I want somebody who's so excited about my books. It's okay if I don't get X, Y, and Z agent. That's just not the right fit. You know, I'm going to match with the right fit eventually. It's okay. And, you know, after I finished up my manuscript for Pitch Wars, I had fresh new version of it. And so I rewrote another query letter and sent it out to a couple more agents um, based on their manuscript wish list. And um, my current agent asked for the full um, and then gave me that exciting email about, can we schedule a call, which made me totally freak out. And <laughs> like, oh, okay, it's happening. It's crazy. So um, yeah, and we just, we just were a really great fit. So Oh my gosh, Kelsey, I'm so proud of you. That makes me so happy to hear. Okay, so where is your project now? Is this like a, a waiting game for you? Waiting to hear back about acquiring or whichever steps? Like, where are you right now? So right now we are in, I redid my original book again this summer, just like made some changes that we are both like fully in agreement on. But, you know, I think it comes back to that. Like, it's really, really challenging to balance now being an agented, aspiring author with having a full-time job. Like, it's really, really difficult to, you know, write, edit those books. And I think that's a challenge that so many of us face. My agent and I, like, talked through what we wanted this book to be and the vision for it. And we both agreed that it just wasn't quite there yet. So right now we are, she's actually reading my second book, um, which I think could be a better debut. Then we're going to, you know, touch base about that again soon and decide if that's the book that we want to send out. Like, I think that it's been really refreshing. Like you hear a lot of stories about how once you're agented or, you know, entering the industry that it can, like things can happen really fast, but also really, really slow. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't realize how accurate that was until I'm now like sort of in the middle of it a bit more. But it is so comforting that Jess, my agent is like, I am here for the long haul. We do not need to rush anything. You are building another career at the same time. Like Mm -hmm. I want us both to feel so strong and so good about any project. So it's just been, you know, really nice to take this slowly and be really thoughtful and strategic with her about where we go from here and like which book is ready and which book would sell easier right now. Like in the, what are, what are people really looking for? Like what is, where's there a hole in the market? And so that's just been so great to have her on my team. Gotcha. So right now it's more so brainstorming and really letting it brew and sit rather than actively editing your second book, for example. Am I getting that correct? Yeah, yeah. Like I I could, I mean, I think as writers, like we can always go back and edit, right? Like we could be editing forever and ever. Yes, And (laughs) and, But I, you know, with as I think that we need to protect our time, especially those of us who are pursuing two careers at the same time, like a, you know, a day job that has nothing to do with writing. Mm. And so I never want to edit in the wrong direction you know, unless there's a purpose behind that, unless we're like exploring a different option, but I don't want to waste the time editing 
I want to be protective of her time and my time and really be sure of what we're doing before we jump into more edits. So yeah, right now we're just letting it brew and thinking about it and, you know, waiting for her to give me feedback on the second book. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just nice to know that like we're both in it for the long haul. And she has your back. She has my back. She's, it's just a really great, like she's a good team member. She like believes in the stories I'm trying to tell and wants to help me tell them the best that we can. So, um, it's just been, it's been a really great process. Um, you know, stressful and uh, just a whole new world for me, but it's been amazing to have her on my team. Oh, this is so exciting to hear Kelsey. And I know that a lot of the fellow listeners are, are going to be really excited to hear this, especially the process as it happens. Cause I think this is the first time we're really diving into the process as it happens. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think this is really such a fascinating look into your career right now, your journey as you're moving forward. So do you mind like I just some real talk because you know, this podcast is real talk when it comes to yes, you know what I mean? So like real talk about like what you mentioned was so spot on, you know, the realities of juggling a day job that sometimes has nothing to do with the creativity side of writing and finances. Like you gotta be realistic. How, who's gonna, like you're, like you were saying, like your parents were saying, you know, health insurance, that's like, mm-hmm. that's a real thing. And that's something that a lot of artists and I'm guilty as one of them. I used to be like this all the time. Where I'm like, oh, just focus on your art. And I hear my mom's voice in the background, who's super business savvy, who's like, hello, you're going to be living on the streets? Go, how are you going to go to the hospital if something happens to you? Art, art, what art for what? So it's so important to have that balance of the practicality. So just from your experiences, you seem very level-headed and very organized overall with life, which is really good and admirable. And my mom would be very proud of you. so how I mean do you have any words of advice to pass on to those who are like really like oh my gosh I I hope I can drop everything one day and just focus on writing and hey that's their thing that's amazing too if they can do that that'd be wonderful but what about like realities of like okay on the way there to transition to like full-time writing you've got to also have everything in order where it's not yes you got to feed your creative soul but also you have to be in a way savvy and practical about things so that you can survive while you're Mm -hmm. pursuing your art Mm -hmm. yeah so I I think you know everybody's journey is so different so I don't want to say that you know you have to have a job with health insurance in order to be happy and to, you know, make your art. But that's what, that is what is true for me. Like I need to feel financially secure in order to be able to write and to order to, in in order to be able to like make art and not feel nervous about like what happens if I need to go to the urgent care or the emergency room or something. Mm -hmm. And so I think that for me, the most important thing that I've realized in balancing these two careers at the same time is trying to push against that guilt that you feel when you're working on one project over another. Like if I am fully like falling into a project at my day job and don't have the energy to write, that's okay. And I, it's very important to me to not guilt myself into like, you did not write your 2000 words today. That's Mm, unacceptable. So I think for me, it's been like, how can I stay connected to the art that I'm creating? Even if I'm so exhausted that I can't write my 2000 words or I am stuck in the book and I just don't have the mental capacity to like 
unstick myself at that time. So, you know, some like really easy points of entry for that that I use. I make book playlists on Spotify. So if I can't write, I just listen to the music that mm. I put together just to like get myself back into that story world. And, you know, I think there's something to be said with just sitting in your story world without writing sometimes, just like thinking about it, just putting yourself there and letting yourself stay there and having that quiet time just to think about the characters and the world you're crafting. So I list, so I listen to that music and that is, you know, music is very good for like de-stressing, but also mm -hmm. it's a way to like reconnect with my art. Um, sometimes I'll pick up like a podcast or a craft book. Um, you know, that's a really good way to feel like you're researching and supporting your creative career, but without, you know, having to write and having that pressure to write. Um, I'm also like really big on making aesthetic like storyboards on Pinterest for all of the novels. And so, you know, that is research. You are researching what does the character look like? How like what sort of places um, should I write about? Like what sort of architecture belongs in my book? So that's research, but it's really fun and like good for your brain to de-stress and go on Pinterest and create storybooks. Or I just reread um, either my favorite books to remind myself like what I'm trying to accomplish or my own books, my own writing, where I sometimes I just need to sit down and reread it because it's really important for me to write books that I want to read myself, like I'm the first audience. So sometimes I just reread those books and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I can do this. Like, I love to write, you know, I need to read the finished product for my own self just to feel fulfilled. So like I remind myself why, um, why I'm doing this and why I should feel confident in my ability. Ooh, those were so good, Kelsey. Oh my gosh. I'm also curious as you're sharing all of this, is it like, what is your goal? Because I know there's a lot of writers who are really happy having um, a day job and having space for creativity because there's something about throwing yourself all in to just being the artist. Uh, there's almost, it's like the fire isn't hot, as hot. That's what I've noticed mm -hmm. from asking some authors and other authors are really happy just being able to write and that's their full-time job as an author that's actually I noticed most of our listeners dreams but where are you in that so I think in my dream world I would um kind of do like part-time of both you know I would mm. love to have that space to write more than I'm writing now and to really throw myself into my art but I am also so passionate about um, you know, event planning and event management, especially literary events. Um, but you know, the one thing that I has always been with me other than writing and reading is the need for event planning. When I was in fourth grade, I planned like a fake wedding on the <laughs> playground for some of my classmates. Like, as I have always been an event planner at my core. So, you know, that's just another creative pursuit and another type of story to tell. Like an event is a story that you put together, you know, mm -hmm. for your audience members. And so I think I would feel a little bit unfulfilled if I wasn't doing that sort of work. Um, but, I, you know, I think in a dream world, I'd be writing part time or, or full time and then doing like a consultant job, still being able to like plan some festivals and work on festivals, just not full time. Um, so, you know, that's down the road someday, but no, I, I don't think that I'm one of those people who can just write because there's so many other things that I love to do, um, in the arts administration world. Um, so I think I need both to feel fulfilled. Ooh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that.
also I do want to dive into the festival. So, yes. oh my gosh. So this is so exciting. So this is your other love um, that <laughs> you are sort of having an affair with, <laughs> cheating on your writing with. No, no, no. Oh, it sounds like it's a polyamorous thing. So it's okay. Everybody's yeah. on the same page. It's okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. I need to hear. So you've been working with the Trust Arts organization. So can you give us more about, it's a Pittsburgh Cultural Trust. And please just jump in and correct me if I'm getting anything wrong. Uh, you're part of a umbrella organization and I'm assuming you worked your way up and now you're launched your own concept of a festival just for teens, which is incredible. I'm so proud. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I've been, I'm going into my fourth year with the Pittsburgh Cultural Trust, which is an awesome organization, a nonprofit in the city that has so many different artistic programming lines and is sort of a national model for revitalization of an urban area through the arts, which is one of the reasons why I was originally drawn to them. So for the past three years at the Trust, I've worked on um, youth theater programming, bringing in, you know, really amazing international artists and helping with that process for theater for young audiences, children, preteens and teens here and there. But I have this passion for serving teenagers. And again, you know, I've had this like little nugget. This is Bookish in the Berg, which is Pittsburgh's new free teen literature festival, has been like a dream project. You know, when I went to graduate school, I went, I studied in Bath, England, specifically because they have some of the most amazing arts festivals, including um, a world-renowned children's literature festival. So this was like a dream project that has been brewing for a really long time. And so, you know, I ha I'm lucky to work with some amazing colleagues at the Trust who are really supportive of this. We have an existing event at the Trust called the Pittsburgh Humanities Festival, which is in partnership with Carnegie Mellon University. It's modeled off of the Chicago Humanities Festival, and it features, you know, great talks about really interesting and diverse topics. And so I thought because we have this existing humanities festival, we were the perfect organization to try a teen literature festival in Pittsburgh. There are so many great teen lit festivals across the country. Y'all Fest and Y'all West and the North Texas Teen Book Festival and all these amazing festivals. And I wanted one in Pittsburgh. You know, there's not very many in the mid-Atlantic region and in the Northeast. So I thought, you know, why not be the person who started this in Pittsburgh as a total book nerd, um, a writer and an arts administrator who loves planning events. And so um, I got the green light from the trust. So this is our first year we're bringing in eight amazing YA authors, including like Jay Coles, Morgan Matson, Kern Calendar, um, just like amazing, great authors. And uh, it was so popular that it filled capacity in just a week with barely any marketing. And so we've actually added a second day. Um, wow. So it's it's just crazy. It's been Congratulations. so, so exciting. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just, I'm just so excited that the trust has recognized my desire to serve teens and to do a free festival that celebrates this artistic genre of literature, you know, because we're always celebrating like music and theater and all those things are important and amazing. But what about books? What about the bookish kids, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, it's just a dream project. I'm so happy and so excited. Is this a festival that adults can go to as well? It's just like anyone who loves YA books, I'm assuming. Yeah, absolutely. We, I mean, it's designed with teens in mind, of course. Um, everything from like the logo designs to like the merch that we're going to be selling to like the the whole feel of the day. But um, you know, I'm an adult woman who loves YA books and loves 
um, how YA is celebrating teen stories in this beautiful way. Um, I think that YA is, um, you know, their YA authors are writing some of the most diverse, inclusive, and like challenging books in these really subtle and nuanced ways. And so, really, the festival is for anybody who celebrates um, teen stories and loves young adult um, literature. So, what's the run through of the days, like the two days? Like, what do you start with? What's in the middle of the day, and what? How do you wrap it up? Yeah, so we are kicking off the day with a free writing workshop. That was really important for me to offer to the teens um, specifically just because, uh, you know, as somebody from a rural area, I didn't have a ton of opportunities for free writing workshops um, except for that great arts immersion program I mentioned. And so um, so I'm working with like a ton of amazing um teaching artists and like and writing instructors in the city to offer free workshops. Um, so the teens will show up and they'll get to pick what genre they want to explore for the day, you know, poetry, um, nonfiction, fiction, journalism, playwriting, like all sorts of great um, genres. And then we'll kick off the day um, with a conversation between Morgan Matson and Rachel Lippincott. Um, and Rachel is just a recent uh, New York Times bestseller who's actually um, in Pittsburgh. So we're really excited to have, you know, such a um, so, so many amazing authors in Pittsburgh. So then we'll have conversations with these great authors throughout the day, and we'll end the day with a um, off like a author signing party, which is called "It's Lit in the Neighborhood." You know, <laughs> Fred Rogers and uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is from Pittsburgh, of course. So we had to get that in here. Um, and so uh, we'll have the authors like signing their books. Um, the teen, the um, our teen ambassadors who um, were twenty three, amazing selected teenagers to help us advocate for the festival will be hosting this event and we'll have all these amazing nonprofits in the city who work with um, teens and celebrate literature are going to be doing hands-on activities with the teens while they're there so it just it should just be you know a really exciting weekend um, celebrating all things bookish that is so exciting all right I'm I'm so curious about the behind the scenes like how did you come up with these concepts? Because I see it's really heart-driven, which is what I loved about um, this whole entire festival and this whole concept of yours is that you really pulled from your own experiences and you really wanted to put things out there that you wished you had when you were younger mm -hmm. and you really want to give back. And I think that's so admirable. So with these specific, uh, the specific itinerary for the weekend, how did you come up specifically with those topics or ideas and uh, those authors. And I know you mentioned like you're trying to reach out to the local ones to highlight them as well. Um, mm -hmm. and down to like the teen ambassadors, like how did you think of that? Like what ideas, like how were you inspired for that? And also how did you go about finding the ambassadors? How did you go about finding and reaching out to the authors? Like I just find this behind the scenes concept so interesting because you just literally just triggered like the entrepreneurial side of me. Yes. I'm just like, oh my God, I want to hear this. Like I love <laughs> these stories. I listen to podcasts all the time. Like all the podcasts I listen to are all entrepreneurial startup ones. So I love the behind the scenes, like break it down for me, mama. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah. So it's been, I mean, um, it's, it was very challenging. There's a lot of moving pieces, as we know, to festival management. Um, but that's what I love. It's like, you know, my, <laughs> my spreadsheet heaven is like <laughs> planning a festival. Uh, and so, spreadsheet gasm, basically. That, that's right. That's right. Exactly. So, <laughs> um, so you know, I, I, I read um, just a lot of YA. Uh, I, I read many, many books every year. And I try to keep up with 
um, you know, what's happening in the industry as a writer, but also as a fan of, of YA. Um, and so it was really important to me to make sure um, that the festival reflected um, the Pittsburgh community and reflected the industry as a whole um, in, in the different stories that I wanted to showcase. And so I did a lot of research um, and had some great phone calls with um, many of other lit literature festivals around the country. They were really generous in helping me sort of um, start and, and create a project proposal for this. And so, um, you know, I, I learned something really interesting is that um, you know, another reason why I just love YA and love YA authors is that, um, you know, many YA authors have sort of agreed to this pact that they're not going to appear at a festival um, if the if the lineup isn't diverse and inclusive, um, which I that is so important to me. And so um, I, I was so happy to hear that. And so I really wanted, you know, a diverse panels and I wanted to showcase a lot of different stories. So I had like a dream list and I started reaching out and seeing who was available, um, worked some with you know, some with authors directly, um, some went through their agents and publicists, which is something that I'm familiar with um, in my work, you know, with with theater for young audiences. You know, I, I manage a lot of um, artist contracts and work with a lot of um, artist agents and plan those itineraries. So it was something that I've been doing for the past few years and felt really comfortable with. Um, and so that part was really fun, just sort of pulling together um, the different authors and books that I really loved from all of them and then pairing them up on a panel and deciding like what the topic was be was going to be. So, um, for example, uh, we have a panel with um, Catherine Ormsby and Curran Collender. And uh, so Catherine um, has this amazing book. It's one of my favorites, uh, Tosh Hart's Tolstoy, which um, features an asexual protagonist, which is not super common in YA. Um, and then Kern, of course, writes amazing, inclusive, um, queer love stories and, and, you know, not just love stories. But um, so they're doing this great panel called I Ship It, which is all about fresh teen love stories. Um, so that's really exciting. And, and I think that teens will really enjoy that because um, they can, you know, they see themselves in these books and now they'll be able to talk to the authors. And so it was really just about um, making sure that not only was I highlighting diverse authors who are writing really inclusive content, but that the topics that I was asking them to sort of frame their discussions around were topics that teens would be really interested in, right? So like there's one about complex family dynamics. Um, there's one about um, the dark and twisty of like world building and, and you know, all those things that a lot of teenagers are interested in. So I think it's just going to be a really great day. So that's sort of how I pulled together the programming. Um, and for our teen ambassadors, um, you know, I did a lot of outreach with different teen organizations in the city. We worked really closely with Carnegie Library of Pittsburgh, um, who just has like really amazing programs for teens, um, just to sort of find teens from all over the region and, and outside of the region. Actually, we have a couple of teen ambassadors who are from other places instead of just Pittsburgh. Like we have one from Rochester, New York. We have a teen ambassador from West Virginia. So it's just been amazing to see that interest. But we recruited all of them and got amazing applications, asked them, you know, how they would share um, about this event with their peers, what their favorite YA books were, um, what words describe themselves. Um, so it was really, I mean, they're just, they're incredible. They're absolutely incredible teenagers and humans. And so reading their applications was such a joy. Um, and so I, I was just so excited to build that program into the festival. Ooh, that's brilliant. Okay. So for me, my brain is like, again, going. And so when you mentioned that you, you know, you based it around the topics around what teens want to hear, is that something where you surveyed them or is that something where 
you kind of observed on Instagram, observed on, you know, wherever teens are nowadays? Is that something where you kind of went and did your research? Uh, Mm Because I know for me, like with our storytellers and 88 Cups of Tea, I like to, I put out surveys and ask directly, but I'm also, I closely observe um, like what people are talking about, what our storytellers are talking about, just to see how I can best serve them with whatever, you know, whichever guests I bring on, uh, whoever um, I bring on or feature in articles. Like I make sure that the topics are exactly what they want to hear. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So it's a lot of work that goes into that. So what I'm imagining it's a lot of work on your end too, that goes into just the research for the topics as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a lot of a lot of observation, you know, like you said, like, what are teens reading? What are they talking about on social media? Um, which of these, um, you know, why books are selling really well and, and are having like a following um, based on like the different topics? Um, it was a lot of research from other uh, festivals too, like what sort of um, topics and themes are uh, other lit- lit- festivals showcasing because I wanted to make sure that, um, you know, teens in my region were having the same sorts of experiences and as festivals in other regions to Mm. get those same sort of topics, you know? And then, you know, it also was like talking to a lot of preteens and teens, um, for one of my other programs at the trust, um, that I, that I help with the, um, EQT bridge theater series, which was created specifically for like preteens and teens. We have a youth advisory board of like 20 some, um, preteens and teenagers. Um, we, we meet with them like a few times a year and, and I really just try to grill them about what they're interested in and what topics they're interested in and what their peers are talking about. And so that was, it was really great insight to gain from them as well for bookish. Ooh, I love how much work you put into this. Uh, just, you put so much heart into this and um, I'm, I'm really excited for you. And this is such an amazing thing that you're doing. You're fine. You're, you're putting something, you're making it accessible. You're making it, um, you're, you're reaching so many people in your region who wouldn't have access to that uh, kind of opportunity um, otherwise. So that's, I'm, really proud and it's really it's really nice to hear that you're doing something like this so um Kelsey this is so exciting I loved hearing about this thank you so much for diving in and letting us see your process and also about you as a storyteller um and I mean is there is there like how do you what's your like why don't we wrap it up with your what's your vision uh what's your vision for this festival in let's say five years where do you hope to see it yeah, so um, in five years, um, these things grow really fast, right? We've seen amazing teen literature festivals around the country that jump from like a couple of hundred visitors to like thousands of teens, which is just incredible. Um, so I think five years down the line, I would love to, um, you know, have like a, a thousand plus teens um, coming to celebrate Bookish. I think that would be amazing. Um, I want to offer um, potentially more writing workshops and more ways for teens to engage with teen literature throughout the year um, that sort of connects to the festival. And also an eventual goal is to celebrate, you know, middle grade and children's literature as well. Um, You know, I wanted to start with the teens because I'm so passionate about them, but there are some really amazing middle grade and and children's books that, you know, we're all seeing in the bookstores. And so, um, you know, I just want Pittsburgh to become this 
literary hub um, as I know that it, it has the potential to be. Um, and I know this festival has the potential to just serve a lot of people by keeping it, you know, free and accessible and, and diverse. And so, um, yeah, I just I hope that it continues to grow and I hope that we can continue to serve our community. That's exciting. And this is something that I I uh, can't help but ask because you're making it free and accessible. Is this something I mean, this is because I've looked into putting events together and it's a lot of money aside yes. from a lot of work. Um, and first of all, you you have a team mm-hmm. um, that's part of the the larger uh, P- Pittsburgh Cultural Trust, right, from, your, yes. from that team. And so you uh, I'm assuming that you were the one who chose the specific people to bring to your team or were they given to you? Um, no. So yeah, they, we work very closely. We, you know, we're a large organization, but we're very lean. Um, we do not, uh, have a lot of staff members, which is, um, exciting for us. We get to touch a lot of different projects, but, um, yeah, the, the person who works on, um, marketing the festival, um, Caitlin is, you know, a dear friend, but she also markets, um, you know, all of the other, um, like children's and youth, teen, preteen, all of those programs through the Pittsburgh Cultural Trust. So it was just sort of like a natural match when we announced that we were going to do Bookish in the Berg, that she was a member of the team. Um, and then other than that, we're just relying on a lot of, you know, great volunteers. And, you know, a lot of the staff members have had a hand in designing and, and doing press releases and, um, you know, our development department looking for, you know, different ways to fund this in the future. Um, so there's a lot of people on board, but, you know, we're, we're really lean. So there wasn't a lot of question about like, who's going to do this. It was just sort of like, all right, we're all pitching in. We're going to make this happen. This is a Pittsburgh cultural trust production and it's going to be great. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So in that case, because this was your concept and you pitched it, Mm -hmm. are they, did they come to you like, okay, well, all right, Kelsey, how much do you think we would need to make this happen? And then you, with your spreadsheets probably went through (laughs) and like, I'm assuming is that, is that how that works? Yeah, it was it was actually sort of the opposite of that. So I really wanted to do the festival and I created project proposal for it, which included a budget. And then I submitted it to the trust and waited to get the green light to see if we could do it, if we could afford it. And then we found out that we could and, and we could do this. So yes, now, you know, that we have the budget approved, I have to, you know, keep that on track and work with our operations team and our marketing team and the programming team, which is me to make sure that I'm keeping everything under budget. Oh my gosh, that is so stressful. I hate numbers. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm like sweating for you, but I'm, I'm, I feel like you, you would like this because you like your Excel sheets and your, and everything and keeping organized. Yeah. <laughs> so it means Pittsburgh Cultural Trust uh, needs to make sure that they're always funded and being supported, I guess, right? Because it's a, it, it's a nonprofit organization. Yes, that we are nonprofit. And so, you know, we try to keep so many of our programs uh, free or super low cost. And so we rely on, you know, a lot of individual donors and a lot of foundation and grant support to make all these programs happen for the public and to support Pittsburgh in this way. So I'm lucky to work for an organization who really values serving the community and and really values creative projects like these and, and serving our community in this way. Oh, my gosh, that's incredible. I would love for us to also learn why you chose 88 Cups of Tea as Bookish in the Berg's podcast partner of choice. I've been a longtime listener of 88 Cups of Tea. I love the podcast so much. It's been so useful as a writer, but also a fan of YA just to like hear from so many storytellers, but especially 
all of the YA authors that you feature on the podcast and their process and about their books. And so just made perfect sense for 88 Cups of Tea to be the Bookish in the Berg podcast partner of choice. I'm just so excited to work with you on that and to get your information out to our festival goers as well, because I, I just believe in your podcast so much. Thank you so much for that. Oh, Kelsey, you and your team are kicking so much butt. And <laughs> this is so wonderful. Thank you so much for giving us such a in-depth view behind the scenes. Uh, I love this kind of talk. And I just love just hearing like what goes into making things happen. You know, you're basically the producer. I'm thinking like on a film set, you make yeah. things happen. And it's so cool to see that, you know, and you're also the casting director, uh, which is really fun. Um, so, I mean, I'm assuming you're, you've been having so much fun with this project overall, more, more than stress, I hope. Absolutely. It's, it's, just a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a dream project, 100%. So, yeah, oh I, I just gosh. can't wait for it. Just can't wait for the festival to be here and to meet all the teams. So I'm so excited for you, Kelsey. So why don't we wrap it up with two questions? Second to last question is, are there any books that you could recommend to our listeners to check out craft writing, craft books, or books that, you know, really inspired you and you're like, whoa, this just inspired me. This is how you write a novel. And uh, this will always be next to my desk when I'm writing as reference. So are there any books like that that you can recommend to us? I mean, Big Magic for sure, like we already talked about. You know, there's been some craft books that I've read. Like I, I love Anne Lamott um, and Bird by Bird, of course. Save the Cat was interesting, which I know a lot of people mention. But, you know, I think that for me, the the best sort of craft insight I get is from reading the books that I really love mm. um, over and over again and, and looking at how they put words together and how they build characters. And so, you know, Rainbow Rowell is my all-time favorite author. Um, mm. And so I, I always keep Rainbow Rowell on, on my bedside table um, and, and reread some of her books when I'm thinking about how to put words together. And the same for like fantasy, since I write contemporary fantasy. I'm a big fan of, you know, incredible world building. And so I can t I consider that like craft research when you're just reading the worlds that experts have built, right? So V.E. Schwab, all of her books have the most incredible world building. Mm -hmm. um, and The Magician's by Lev Grossman is one of my like world building favorites. Just, um, you know, I sit with my books and, and I put post-its all the way through them and sort of mark like how they're introducing new parts of the world and like really subtle and nuanced ways. So, you know, I think that um, reading widely is one of the best ways that we can support our craft um, and, and just learning from those who have done it before us. Mm, brilliant. Thank you. We'll have those listed in your show notes page. And also, why don't you tell us uh, where we can find you online and also more about where we could find Bookish in the Berg? And also, uh, before we jump into that, Bookish in the Berg, you're bringing it back in 2020 next year. Yes, yes. So this year was completely sold out. Uh, basically, it was just booked out uh, for two days for the entire weekend. So then you're going to bring it back 2020. Are you going to aim for next March or you kind of have to see like the availability? I, we kind of have to see, but it'll be like February or March. The second day for this year on March 24th, we do have some seats available. They're going to go fast, um, but people can sign up online if they want to join us this year. But yeah, we'll be back in 2020 sometime in early spring for round two of Bookish in the Berg. <laughs> Ooh, that is so exciting. Okay, so let everyone know how they could find you and Bookish in the Berg. Yeah, so I'm at uh, KelseyLynnFord.com and all of my, you know, Twitter and Instagram is at KelseyLynnFord. Um, and you can find more information about Bookish at TrustArts.org slash Bookish. 
Amazing. Kelsey, thank you so much. Thank you, Yin. And that wraps up our episode with Kelsey Ford. Kelsey, thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about your writing journey and about Bookish in the Berg. I am so proud to hear how proactive you are. And thank you for being a supporter and longtime listener of 88 Cups of Tea. I wish you and Bookish in the Berg all the success. Storytellers, thank you for hanging out and listening in as always. Please be sure to drop by and say hi to Kelsey over on Twitter at Kelsey Lynn Ford. That's K-E-L-S-E-Y-L-Y-N-N-F-O-R-D. And check out her website over at KelseyLynnFord.com. And to learn more about Bookish in the Berg, visit TrustArts.org slash Bookish. And don't forget to head over to Kelsey's show notes page at 88CupsOfTea.com slash podcast slash Kelsey-Ford to access all the resources and books mentioned during her episode. If you'd love to help me spread the word about 88 Cups of Tea, I would be so grateful if you could tell two of your friends about 88 Cups of Tea. Not three, just two. It would be awesome if you tag us at 88 Cups of Tea on social media whenever you're telling your friends about us, whether that's on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or send them a good old-fashioned email or a text about your favorite 88 Cups of Tea episode and why you think they should listen to that episode, even if it's a quick Hey, buddy, you got to listen to this episode from 88 Cups of Tea because I think it'll put a smile on your face. Okay, miss you. Bye. Or something like that, because that's what my friends and I do when we listen to an awesome new podcast or really great episode. What we do is we screenshot the podcast player with that episode playing in the background, and then we just text that photo to each other and we're like, you need to listen to this. So maybe that's another idea of how to share the news with your friends. And seriously, thank you so much for helping me get the word out about 88 Cups of Tea and helping me grow our community together. It means so much to me. Have a super productive week and I'll catch you next Thursday. Hey guys, it's me again. Thanks so much for listening in on 88 Cups of Tea. Go create something magical today and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.